Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 74. Uh, this week, we have myself, Michael, and Mark. Sarah and Gladys uh, are off right now. They're doing some pretty busy stuff. And we also have a guest, Kemley, who's here to talk to us about some of the latest and greatest features in Azure Policy. But before we get to Kemley, uh, let's take a little lap around the news. Uh, Mike, why don't you kick things off? A couple things you know, share from my own observations and then uh, some big news from a Microsoft uh, perspective. One of the things that, uh, that came up recently was uh, had an interesting discussion around sort of what are the top attacks and the top things that uh, we see and essentially how do the attackers start getting in. Most of the attacks that we see kind of fall into what I had to call like the front door, sort of the new triad that we have to deal with, which is, you know, email, phishing attacks, identity theft, either as a first step or, you know, after they get the endpoint. And then, of course, endpoint. Um, so, you know, ultimately the attackers, like the, usually the way they get in your environment is by taking over the endpoint, taking over an identity or you know, sending an email to do one of those two things, and you know, one of those three orders. Now, there still are direct attacks on applications and you know, uh, you know, services that are exposed to the internet, kind of your data center, kind of backend stuff. But the sheer volume of them, given the accessibility nowadays of uh, all the different ways that people can work remotely, etc., um, it's really, really important to have you know, good monitoring and security operations on those areas. So that was sort of one of the things that uh, I thought would be good to share. And then um, the other thing that we've seen this, uh, that's um, almost always interesting to folks is one of the things we see in security a lot is sort of a uh, like a bottom up or technology centric type of approach, and I, I kind of trace a lot of this back to the roots of when security was you know heavily based on hey we bought this 19 inch rack appliance with a you know a nice plastic color bezel and it does this X job and we need someone to run it. Right. And that's how people kind of view the jobs, view the outcomes of security is sort of based on the, Hey, we have a technical security capability. Let's drive this outcome. And, um, the, the thing that we're seeing more and more is that, especially as we get into zero trust and all these other kind of, you know, ways of moving fast on the business and cloud and tech front is you got to sort of rethink security and, and think about it from a top down kind of outcome driven first. What is the outcome we're trying to achieve? You know, it's, it's not about, Looking at logs, it's about detecting attackers, right? It's it's about getting rid of them quickly. It's not about you know necessarily finding them on the network, you know. So you know, with the network being the active word, and so it's really important, you know, I found to, it, you know, and really helpful to look at things through that 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 frame. I mean, obviously, we do still have to work with the technology and the logs and the data that we have. But, you know, with that North Star in mind, with that, what are we trying to achieve, you know, from a security and risk perspective? So enough of uh, Mark's meanderings. Uh, the, the news, the big one that uh, we saw was Security Copilot. And so Microsoft announced this. It's in private preview, not public preview. So um, a limited set of customers, design partners at this point in time. But it is essentially taking that jet GPT uh, types of technology, uh, generative AI, I believe it's, is, is the correct term for it, that allows you know, essentially a human to have a conversation uh, with the AI and then you know, it queries the uh, data and sort of makes sense of it in a human way. Obviously not perfect uh, for every answer, but pretty pretty darn good, pretty impressive. And uh, essentially applying that, you know, with a combination of some of the uh, the open, if, if I recall correctly, some of the open AI algorithms as well as some Microsoft specific, um, security specific ones. 
uh, blended together. And so it's a really fascinating technology, has a lot of potential as you sort of chat with this co-pilot and ask it questions. And, you know, it can do, you know, hey, can you go reverse engineer this malware? Or can you do this? Can you look for things like this? Really, really compelling, interesting uh, technology. I think it actually will be transformative. You know, I, I think of this as like, uh, you know, the way mainframe gave way to desktop, gave way to enterprise, uh, gave way to cloud. Um, you know, we never got rid of the old stuff. We just kind of created a hybrid with this new, uh, new generation of technology that did amazing things. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it has a lot of potential, clearly in early days because it's just private preview. But I think there's a lot of potential for it to really help. And, and a lot of the work I've seen, um, so far on it seems to be, essentially helping people get value out of the, the tools and technology that is already there, right? And so, you know, it's all these, you know, great code, great capabilities that people have written. And it seems to be just making it a lot easier for humans to find it, access it, and use it without having to memorize, you know, a user interface or where it is or write a script, et cetera. And so I really see it as sort of unlocking the potential of humans to use the technology is sort of the big theme I'm seeing uh, with this generation of technology. But, um, yeah, for those that haven't seen it, highly recommend checking out the Microsoft Secure uh, video announcing this and demoing it, etc. Um, it's pretty cool, impressive stuff. So over to you, Mike. So when I should bring up about you know the way ChatGPT and sort of generational AI is going to change things, um, I had a one of my in-laws ask me a question. You know, is, is my job or his job going to be replaced by AI? I said, I don't, I don't think your job is going to be replaced by by AI, but it may be replaced by someone using AI. You know, because it gives you that sort of little competitive edge, right? Yeah, I'm very excited for all the generational AI work that's, that's going on. I, I, I really, really am excited for it. I, I understand that there are some concerns, but for the most part, um, I think it's a net positive. But that's just a, a personal opinion. Yeah, and I would I would add one thing because I actually we did a Q and A live uh, during the announcement day, and so we I was actually not uh, in on the announcement prior to it, but that was one of the first questions that um, that we wanted to focus on right away was. Listen, this is going to change jobs, right? This is going to make people more effective, but it's not just going to, you know, snap your fingers, I'll replace a human with it. You just have to learn it just like you would any new technology, especially, you know, important transformative ones. Well, yeah, I mean, accountants became better with, with spreadsheets, right? Exactly. Mathematicians became better with calculators, and you know, so did nerds, right? I mean, I don't think it's, you got to embrace it. I mean, you can't just ignore it. You either embrace it because if you don't embrace it, somebody else is going to embrace it. So you True might that. as well embrace it. You know. All right. Well, we got a guess. So let's make sure we get past the news. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. All right. So let's get back. Let's get back to a couple of items I have. So the first one is not going to be. I'll be pretty quick. You can now configure a disk encryption for Azure Cache for Redis using customer managed keys. And to me, this is like one of the big, you know, the triad of things that we're sort of seeing is customer managed keys everywhere. We're also seeing um, use of managed identities everywhere, and we're seeing the use of private link and private endpoints everywhere. So this is uh, just one of those examples. Uh, next one is for. As your SQL database auditing, we now support user-managed identities. Uh, this allows you to restrict uh, access or the destination, I should say, put an RBAC policy on, say, a storage account and use a managed identity of the actual SQL instance to restrict you know, the fact that you know, this SQL instance can write to that particular storage account, for example. So again, another example of the triad, in this case, uh, user-managed identities. Next one is there are now some built-in policies for Azure Monitor. So for example, you could deploy an environment and you can say, hey, if you've got Key Vault, then auditing must be turned on and you must audit to you know, this particular storage account, for example. So this is really nice to see and it's fantastic that we have Kemley here to talk to us about you know, some of the new aspects of Azure Policy. 
Um, also, in general, availability is Azure Private Link. Again, there's another one of my triad. Azure Private Link support for inbound traffic and Azure API management. Another, uh, again, nice to see because now you can put a nice, strong isolation boundary around your Azure API management um, instances. Staying on the topic of Private Link, um, Azure Private Link for Azure Managed Instance is now in preview. This is in my backyard. This is great to see this. We actually had a bunch of customers asking this just about this just recently. Just because of the way MI works, it's because of the way managed instance works, uh, people were wondering if they could put even tighter control around network traffic. So now you can um, with private link for Azure SQL managed instance. Next one is Azure Maps. I didn't even know it existed, to be absolutely honest with you, but here you go. Um, Azure Maps is now HIPAA compliant. Uh, this is fantastic to see, actually, because if you've got like, some applications, some healthcare application, and you want to do things like um, geocoding for customers, or you want to calculate, say, travel times and so on, um, you want to do all that sort of geospatial kind of stuff, um, so now Azure Maps is HIPAA compliant, so now you can go ahead and actually use it in your healthcare applications. Encryption scopes and hierarchical namespace is now available. So encryption scopes has actually been available for a while, but not in hierarchical namespaces, but now it is. Um, so what this allows you to do is say, okay, that part of my namespace uses this particular key encryption key. And that particular part of my namespace uses that particular key encryption key. So you can actually store separate keys or key encryption keys in Key Vault. And you can provide strong access policies around them and so on. So now you can actually start segregating um, your storage accounts by, uh, by encryption scope. So it's good to see that it's now available in uh, hierarchical namespaces. Durable functions, back to managed identities. Durable functions now support managed identities for Azure Storage. So now you can have a durable function, and you can say that my function has read, write, delete access to that particular storage account and nothing else, for example. So again, this is a really good, good way of putting strong RBAC policies around, uh, you know, around solutions that are using durable functions and storage accounts. This is a new one as well, and I was really kind of amazed to see this, mainly because I'm surprised it didn't exist. Um, immutable vaults for Azure Backup. So this allows you to have a backup that is immutable. In other words, it cannot be changed. It's not that there's an Azure policy around it or there's an RBAC control that prevents people from changing it. It actually cannot be changed. The APIs for actually manipulating, like writing and deleting, are not there. So it is truly immutable. So this is really fantastic to see. I think if anyone's using backup, um, I imagine that a certain set of points in time backups will, will certainly be immutable. And then the last one in the news department um, is ephemeral operating system disks now support encryption at host using customer managed keys. So if you have a VM, um, virtual machine, so you know, an Ubuntu VM with ephemeral operating system disks, you can now encrypt those. So there's a whole bunch of different technologies that we have for encrypting sort of data at rest in virtualized environments in VMs, um, one of which is encryption at host. And so now you can actually use customer managed keys where uh, prior to this point in time, it was only platform managed keys. So that's great to see. And again, it's another one of you know, my example of my, my sort of triad, right? Customer managed keys everywhere, private link, private endpoint, and managed identities for client authentication. So fantastic to see so much progress being made. All right. So with that, that is the news out of the way. So let's turn our attention to our guest. Uh, this week we have Kemley, who's here to talk to us about some of the latest and greatest news in Azure policy. Kemley, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, would you like to take a moment and just uh, introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is Kemley. I am a PM, a product manager for Azure Policy. Azure Policy sits within Azure Control Plane and Governance. 
meaning my grader team does everything from uh, Azure Resource Manager core to Azure Resource Graph to tags and management groups. So a lot of the fun stuff when it comes to core ARM functionality as well as governance. I've been at Microsoft for three years now, started out as an intern, came back full time, uh, and I've been working on Azure policy ever since. So I specific within Azure policy, I specifically focus on what we call life cycle, meaning how are our Azure policy resources being created and assigned to customers' environments. But, you know, talk about anything policy related uh, or tags or governance related as well. Thank you for bringing me on. Yeah, you bet. So I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Azure policy. I've always been a, a fan of Azure policy. But before we get stuck into some of the minutiae and some of the new stuff, why don't you spend a, a couple of minutes and just explain to our listeners some of the basics of Azure policy and what it actually is. So Azure policy allows you to control and govern, it, and govern your resources at scale. So there's three main pillars of policy. The first one is enforcement and compliance, right? Making sure that you're enforcing the standards uh, that you want on your environment. So how these standards look like are kind of through policy definitions, right? We have built-in definitions for customers uh, to use right out of the box. And we also have the ability to create custom definitions, which are JSON objects uh, to instill your own standards that, you know, are particular for your environment. So we allow for real-time evaluation and enforcement so we can do things like deny resources uh, from being created. We could uh, modify the resource request at the time it comes in to make sure that it's, uh, these resource creations stay in compliance. On top of enforcement, we also have compliance reporting, meaning we do a periodic and on-demand compliance evaluations of all the resources in your environment and then report out whether those are compliant or non-compliant to the standards that you've assigned. All of this is available at scale, meaning you could apply this uh, at a management group level, subscription level, however you may like, and, and you're able to have multiple policy definitions and aggregate those states through initiatives. And then kind of the last pillar, so the first pillar is enforcement and compliance, second at scale. And the third pillar is really remediation and automation. We have auto remediation for new resources coming in for particular effects uh, within Azure policy definitions, but we also allow for remediation of existing resources at scale. Uh, and you could do a lot of automation with our integrations with the rent grid to trigger alerts or our integrations with Azure Resource Graph for querying of compliance states across your environment. So overall policy is a very important engine uh, for your governance and control within your own environment. So one thing back in the day when I was in services, one thing I would actually mention to customers is if they're not using Azure policy, they're doing, they're doing Azure wrong. I actually kind of stand by that today. I, I think it's such a critically important part of, like you say, compliance and well, governance for sure in, in Azure. So, so yeah. So why don't, you, why don't you give an example of how someone might use you know, policy? Just, just you just pick a, a canonical example. Let's just sort of throw it out there. So policies covers a lot of things. Uh, it just really depends on what you look at. A, a very basic or starter policy, I should say, uh, is around tagging, right? Or allow, uh, let's do allowed locations, right? You only want certain. Re you only want your resources to be applied in certain locations. We have that definition available right off the bat. If you go to your portal today or go through API, you'll see that built-in definition available. It's called allowed locations. You get that definition, you assign it. And um, when you assign it, you're specifying at what scope uh, do you want this to be assessed at? So 
management group level, subscription, resource, resource group, those are the four scopes available. We usually recommend to kind of adhere to the at scale stories, you do it as high as possible. So we could do, let's say management group level. And then you just specify what locations do you want to allow, right? So you could say, I only want the US, so West US, East US, those handful locations, or I only want the Asia locations, right? So you select a list of locations, you apply that assignment, and then policy sits within the front door of Azure Resource Manager, meaning any request that goes through ARM, it comes through policy first. And policy will assess that request and say, okay, where is this resource trying to be created? If it's in Asia, okay, cool, let it go forward. If it's, for example, in Europe, we'll say, no, deny the request, so the resource can't be created. And it's blocked. You know, as you continue into the journey of, of policy, the things can get really quite complex and you can create a lot of different conditions and clauses as to what's allowed, what's not allowed. Uh, but the built-ins really allow for that easy flow in. Another set of examples of, that are really popular is allowed SKU types for storage accounts, uh, disabling public network access, yeah, having a certain uh, IP ranges. Really, the world is, is endless because anything that goes through ARM is able to have a policy enforcement on top of it. It's interesting you should bring up the allowed locations one because, you know, I work in the Azure Data Platform and one of those products is Cosmos DB. And we actually make it really easy to scale out or move your data, you know, all around the world. Very, very easy. In fact, to the point where, you know, if you had enough rights, you could just literally click on a button and, you know, move all your data to different parts of the world. So that way the data is closest to your customers. But sometimes you might not want that, right? Because you don't want stuff to be pushed to, to Germany where all of a sudden you may have potentially GDPR implications for doing that. And by the way, I'm not a, an expert in compliance when it comes to, or certainly not GDPR, but you know, I think you've got to be very careful with things like that. So it's nice to have as your policy in place that just says, hey, we're going to work in you know North and South America, for example, and only allow certain regions and no, nowhere else. So that's a, I'm a huge fan of that one. Another one I'm a huge fan of is to do with Key Vault, right? So I can actually say, only allow um, the HSM-backed Key Vaults, right? So that way, the keys are stored in hardware. They're not stored in software. Now, what was interesting about that one, though, is that back in the day, you could do that, right? You could say, I only allow a hardware-backed HSM. The problem with it, though, is that even though you have a hardware HSM, you can still produce a soft key. So now there's another policy that says, only allow... Uh, what are called premium SKU uh, as your key vaults, and only allow hardware back keys. So that way, no one can no one can create software back keys at all, um, or software uh, software key vault. Yeah, you did bring up an interesting point. You said you want, from a manageability and scalability perspective, to have policy as high as possible. So, for example, on management, you know, management group or a subscription, could I put a policy at a management group, but allow a specific resource group in a subscription to not be dependent on that particular policy. I can, I can apply a policy absolutely everywhere, but not in this little resource group over there because it's some special kind of special. Yes, you actually can. So policy has two mechanisms to go about it. We have both policy exclusions, which lives within the assignment, or policy exemptions, which is its own individual resource. So my question, uh, if you know, you're saying I want to ex exempt or exclude this uh, resource group from this overarching policy, it would really depend on the scenario. So we see exclusions being used a lot, uh, exclusions which lives within the assignments being used a lot for scopes 
uh, that we're saying we never want to touch this, right? So let's say you're applying something at the root management group level, so across your whole tenant, and you say, I want to kind of permanently exclude my uh, non-prod environment, right? It doesn't matter. I don't need to govern it. I'm just going to let that be. So then in that case, you can use an exclusion to manage that. You can also use exemptions. The benefit of exemptions is that exemptions, because it's its own resource, can have its own life cycle. So you can create and delete exemptions as needed. You could also add a time of expiring, meaning that that resource would automate that exemption resource will expire, meaning whatever was exempted will then come back into enforcement. The cool thing of exemptions as well is that it it comes up in the compliance state. So it'll show you like that resource group is exempted versus exclusions will not come up in, in compliance. It's just ignored by the assignment completely. But yeah, we do have the mechanism. It just depends on what kind of nooks and you know knobs you would need for that uh, resource group. So one thing you mentioned before, which may have been missed by, by some people listening, you said that policy injects itself at the resource manager as your resource manager arm level. There's some really important implications about that, right? I mean, it's I mean, if you're deploying something or even changing something after the fact, I mean, the arm middle layer there gets gets in the way, right? I mean, policy gets in the way regardless of, as long as you're going through arm, policy gets in the way regardless, or more accurately, <laughs> sounds a bit cynical, as your policy is enforced regardless, as long as you're using ARM. Yes. So yeah, I like to say that policy sits at the, it does sit at the front door of Azure Resource Manager and it just monitors all the requests that come through ARM. So it doesn't matter what uh, format that the customer is using to create resources. So it could be an ARM template, it could be through PowerShell or through the portal specifically, policy will sit there and make sure that everything that comes in is in compliance to whatever is uh you know, standardized or whatever is assigned in the environment. It has some cool effects, uh, such as when you use the policy effect called modify, uh, we're empowered to look at these requests that come in and modify the request so it stays within compliance and engineers or the resource creators don't have to think about, hey, is this setting a set? Or did I put the correct tags that I do all this work, the modify effects that you can assign within your environment will automatically do that and modify those requests as they come into ARM. On top of that, we also have a great integration with uh, the portal team and other product teams who are creating their own portal experiences and allowing for what we call the policy aware portal experience. You might have seen it as you create uh, resources through policy, but you'll see these validation fail or these red boxes come up, or you might even see some some gray boxes and things that you can't unclick. And that's all powered through policy and ensuring that whatever business standards are assigned in your environment continue through your flow and make it easier to create these resources so you don't select things that you're not supposed to or that are non-compliant or not allowed. So policy really injects itself at the beginning of the process to make sure we keep our environments as secure as possible. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I've seen some of the instances where the UI is grayed out because of policy. But again, if you were to write like a PowerShell script or a, an ARM template, um, you could basically set whatever you wanted in there, but it may, the, the deployment may get, or the update may get rejected, right? Because of policy. Yeah. Okay. Correct, correct. There's an interesting verb you mentioned before, which is deny. But as your policy is not just all about denying things, right? There's lots of other actions that policy can actually actually do. Yeah, so we have a lot of effects, and we've actually added new ones I'd be happy to talk about. So the ones that have existed uh, for a while, we have uh, 
append, audit, audit if not exist, deny, deploy if not exist, disabled and modified. I already talked a bit about modify. Uh, deny is pretty self-explanatory. We will deny any request that comes in if it's non-compliant. Audit and audit if not exist uh, work, hand, uh, work hand in hand in that if uh, we don't actually do any enforcement to request, but we audit, meaning we report out all the compliance so you can continue to monitor that and see the compliance states of your resource. The two new effects that we have just introduced is deny action and manual. So deny action, as the word entails, uh, denies any actions that happen on the environment. So historically, policy uh, has only looked at resource configuration. So is this resource configured correctly? Deny action is kind of the first step in policy looking at, well, what is the action that I want to do on these resources and how do I prevent those action, actions from succeeding? So the first action that we're looking at is delete. So you, you might have heard or you sometimes it's referred to as the deny delete effect. Uh, because basically what we're doing is since we sit at that front door, we're looking, are there any delete calls that are going to this resource or scoped at this resource? And if we see that, we will reject the delete call from coming in and block it, meaning the resource won't be able to be deleted. The cool thing about this is, you know, deny, deny action works as any other effect in policy, meaning the JSON, if condition is completely open. So you're able to add the functionality of, oh, you know, deny deletion of anything that has this tag or, uh, you know, deny, deny the deletion of any virtual machines within my production environment uh, and just that if flexibility. And it works exactly the same as any other policy. You create your definition, you assign it, and you'd be able to see which resources uh, are applicable. Currently, deny action is in public preview. So you're able to go ahead and create those definitions and, and work on that. Uh, the missing piece for uh, a general availability, which is soon to come, is the matching compliance state of protected. So any resource that uh, is applicable to deny action uh, will come up as protected. For right now, for public preview, they come up as compliant, uh, but you should see that compliance state change when we go GA. That deny delete, is that like a super duper management log? It is similar in the goal, uh, but it just comes with the at scale story of policy. Right. And, you know, locks also allow you to deny update and deletion. Right now, we're just focused, uh, policy is only focused on the deletion, not on the update scenario. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. When I, I remember when I first saw them, man, that looks a lot like you know, putting locks on resources, but I'm glad you explained the, the differences. I think that's very important. Um, and certainly the scalability aspect is critically important as well. You know, resource locks, if someone has the permission to that resource, they can remove a resource lock versus a policy. You have to have policy permissions to remove or exempt yourself from that policy. Yeah, you could be a contributor at the resource group level, right? So now you can start removing locks. Being a contributor, say, for example, at the resource group does not mean you have the ability to start, you know, tinkering around with policy. Yeah, especially yeah. if these policies are assigned at like management group exactly. level, right? Exactly, exactly. Subscription owners and those people can't can't change that stuff. They don't have the permissions to. All right. So that's sort of some of the new functionality in terms of some of the actions. So what else is uh, kind of either on the cusp, it's available now or it's in GA and, you know, what other things are you looking at sort of further down the track? Yeah. So actually something that's quite top of mind, top of mind for all of the Azure policy team is safe deployment. How do we safely deploy these policy definitions and assignments in, in customers' environments so we don't do breaking changes or changes that might be negatively impactful. 
as we know, as we talked about, effects policies have quite a bit of enforcement, and we want to make sure we do that carefully and uh, by hand-selected rollouts, right? Whether that be location-based or resource-based or eventually tag-based, uh, we need to make sure that we're doing it in a controlled mechanism. So safe deployment has been really important. We've actually released uh, some stuff already for safe deployment. We have some other stuff coming up. Uh, particularly, we did updates through to policy assignments. So policy assignments now have a new property called resource selectors, uh, in which you could specify what resource locations and resource types you want that assignment to apply to. So in conjunction with the applicability that comes in with the definition, right, all those conditions that you have and with the scope, all that information, we will also accept any resource locations and resource types that you want us to narrow or focus on within selectors. So for example, we went, we did the, we talked about allowed location definition, right? Let's say you're rolling out this allowed location, which is a deny, right, on your environment. And you want to say, okay, I want to slowly roll this out, but I only want this to be on a handful of resource types first, right? I only want, I let's start with my storage accounts. So you would specify a resource selector, you'd say kind resource type, and it's a, an array, so you can keep on adding values. So you'll say, let's start with storage account. So we'll only allow, we'll only enforce that allowed location as assignment on those uh, storage account resources. And then you can go in and then add virtual machines and then add Cosmos DB and then add, you know, et cetera, et cetera, amount of uh, resource types. You can do the same with locations, slowly add in more locations to roll out that policy definition. Eventually, we're also looking to support tags. So it's something that the team's currently working on. And how can we support a tag-based rollout? Meaning, you know, if you have all your resources tagged as ring one, ring two, ring three, uh, you would just tell us what tags to include, and you could slowly roll that uh, out. So that's selectors. Also within assignments, we've also uh, added a new property called overrides. Overrides allows you to override uh, values that are specified within the policy definition. So a common use case for this is, you know, hey, I see this built-in definition. I really like it. I want to use it, but it's only in the deny mode, and I need it in audit right? Or it's uh, only in modify needed in audit or, you know, whichever way around that you need the effects to go. So with overrides, you're able to assign that built-in definition and just override the effect value. Uh, so you could roll it out that way. So if you want to go back to allowed locations, it's by default in deny effect, but you could say, I'm going to override that effect and I'm going to start out with audit. So I can audit all my requests that are coming in, audit all my resources that currently exist, roll that out to my environment first, and then flip the switch and switch it to deny. The cool thing about overrides is that you could use selectors within overrides, meaning you can override the value for deny to only certain regions or to only certain resource types. Meaning as you roll out this new enforcement, you have a more controlled mechanism to where to apply the deny instead of applying it all you know, straight up on the whole environment. And this is all within one assignment. You don't have to create any new assignments, same assignment ID, you're just updating that with whatever knobs that you need to have it in. So that's our first phase of safe deployment. As we continue to go into this process and work on it through all of our uh, semesters, the next thing that we're looking at is how can we support versioning of policy definitions? 
specifically our built-in definitions. We've heard from our customers kind of the pain points and keeping track of uh, updates to our definitions and, and what's new and what's you know going on within uh, this built-in definition world. So we are looking to introduce versioning uh, for these definitions and it's something that we're currently working on uh, to be included kind of in that safe deployment process and the upgrade uh, experience as well as delving into how do we uh, support things like deprecating policy parameters and rollbacks uh, for changes within policy. So overall, safe deployment is really top of mind for us and, and how can we empower the uh, enforcement of these organizational standards. So as we continue to empower, we also have to uh, improve a lot of latency and, and the work around that. So we actually just uh, rolled out a whole bunch of efforts that we had to reduce the latency and compliance uh, view. So usually, usually, typically, we say 30 minutes uh, for your compliance states to populate. I think now our average is down to 10 minutes. So you should be seeing those compliance states populate a lot quicker uh, and having that latency reduced. We're also looking to reduce latency on policy enforcement and on global replication and working with the Azure Resource Manager team to ensure that. Other things that we're thinking of down the line, things like what if support, uh, I talked a bit about versioning, uh, having more UX around building these policies, uh, and also having like what's a new page to keeping up at, to keep up to date as to what policies are coming out and, and what policies have been changing. Uh, but overall, policy is always focused on increasing, you know, our language and expressions while trying to, to simplify the experience overall. I'm quite excited for what we're working on uh, now and to see the future of policy. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, Azure policy is actually quite a bit bigger than they may have thought. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot more moving parts to it than a lot of people may have thought. So, uh, yeah, this is great to see. It's definitely like peeling an onion. <laughs> yes, this has been awesome. Um, I learned a lot. Again, I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of Azure policy. So, um, it's great to see you know these improvements being made. But one thing we always ask our guests is if they had one final thought to leave our listeners with, uh, what would it be? I think my final thought is governance should not be an afterthought. It should be the, one of the first thoughts in creating your environment. It's important to have that active control and policy is a great mechanism to have that and just govern at scale for all your Azure resources today, tomorrow, and you know for the future. Kemi, thank you so much for joining us this week. Again, I you know I always learn something on every episode, but I certainly learned a lot about some of the new stuff that's coming out. And again, I'm a huge fan of of policy, and I'll, I'll stick to what I said at the very beginning. You know, if you're not using Azure policy, you're doing Azure wrong. That's just my personal opinion. And so again, thank you so much for joining us. And to all our listeners out there, I hope you found this uh, podcast useful. Oh, by the way, if you want to know where Mark went, um, someone put looks like someone put an axe through his fiber optic cable. Ooh. That's why I had to sort of uh, one man this towards the end. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, take care and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.